Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast today, Benjamin Dixon. He is host of The Benjamin Dixon Show. He's a progressive advocate and activist advising the really American pack in the state of Georgia as these special elections are so decisive and upcoming. Welcome, Benjamin. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's definitely a pleasure. Benjamin, what surprised you, if anything, about the results that we've already absorbed from the presidential race. Mm. The, the, the pivotal role that young progressives, particularly black progressive progressives played in the state of Georgia, turning Georgia blue for Joe Biden and for the, for humanity for that sake, for that matter. Um, that, that was a little surprising to see um, so many young uh, progressives and so many young black progressives is such a high percentage. I think it was like for black, uh, black progressives, like 93% um, voted for Joe Biden in the state of Georgia. And that those, that's what gave him the margins uh, for the victory outside of that. You know, I, I am surprised in that the win wasn't even bigger. I'm grateful for the win. I thought that it would be bigger. And the fact that so many people actually did vote for Donald Trump really uh, is a testament to the fact that there's so much more work to be done in this country. Now, you're coming to us from Atlanta. There were galvanized supporters of Biden in the city. But in particular, there was an outpouring of support in the suburbs. And this is a more multicultural, multidimensional American suburban experience than Mm -hmm. in the Nixon era. the, the trick, it seems to be to win as Biden did, if you are Ossoff and Warnock, is to be able to do exactly what Joe Biden did. And that is straddling the line between prog- pragmatic center-left politics and progressivism. So as you are organizing right now, do you think that the Ossoff and Warnock messages have crystallized more coherently than before election day, November 3rd. Yeah, I think they, they have crystallized. And, and, and to be honest with you though, I think they crystallized in the wrong fashion. I honestly don't even believe that Joe Biden won the state of Georgia on his own merits. I think Georgia was won by progressive organizers. Um, I, I think across the country even, uh, and we're starting to see some results, some data that's just coming in and we'll, we'll get the full picture of the actual victory as all the uh, voter files are updated. But there were a lot of people who simply did not like Joe Biden, but understood that Donald Trump was an existential crisis, right? He had, he's an existential threat rather, and that he, he had to go. And so many people, including myself, even though I own any given year, I would never have supported Joe Biden, but of course I went and voted for him. And I encourage all my supporters to go and vote for him. Uh, and I think that same paradigm uh, phenomenon is going to be replicated in Georgia. Um, I do think that Leffler is going to lose and Purdue is going to lose. I think Ossoff and, and, and Warnock are going to win, but I think they're going to win because the people on the ground who are organizing understand the stakes, not because they so much care about the message of Ossoff, because he's really running on a couple of things that we don't like, but he, we still need him to win. It's true, of course, that Stacey Abrams and you and, and a whole host of extraordinary activists galvanized the support for the Democrats. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, folks pull the lever for Biden who did not pull a lever for Ossoff or Warnock. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's 
the critical question in winning this special election, this runoff, is it, is it not the, the idea that you need to pull people into the Democratic coalition who split their ticket on election day, November 3rd? Um, well, it depends on how that ticket was split. Like you're just saying that they um, they voted for Joe Biden and against. Uh, I'm Warnock. under the assumption. Right. Benjamin, that in a number of swing states, um, there were voters like that, but there were enough of them in Georgia and Maine mm. in particular, what we call crossover split ticket voters who might have yeah. voted for Purdue or um, Loeffler right. and right. also voted for Biden. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I hear as we're recording this that that Biden himself is is uh, heading to Georgia, as is yeah. the outgoing president, uh, Trump. Um, but but my question is straddling that line between the progressive coalition and folks who were receiving the messaging that the, the Democratic president and progressive are the boogeymen. They're the boogeymen. Mm. And, you know, even if you vote for Biden because you deplore Trump and Trumpism, uh, you got to vote for a Republican in for the Senate to be a check on. Uh, and, and that's really the argument right now it's it's they they are purporting that without a republican check a radical agenda will be installed yeah and and that seems to be the argument from the rnc from the georgia republican party we're not going to convince moderate republicans to vote for a democrat um it didn't really happen um with and and again like there's we have exit polls we have some pretty decent data um but you know, I always do like to wait until we have a complete picture for a full autopsy of how the victory was won or how the loss was lost. And uh, to that uh, to that extent, though, um, I will say that Republicans voted so far. It looks like Republicans voted more as a percentage, as a group for Donald Trump than um, they did in 2016. More Republicans voted for Donald Trump in 2020 than they did in 2016. That's despite 270,000. Well, at that time, it was about 250,000 people who had died of COVID-19. Uh, the economy had crashed. He showed himself to be a full-throated, flaming bigot, right? And so anyone who didn't vote for Donald Trump, but they still voted for Kelly Loeffler or David Perdue, I still think that those people are not reachable. And even if they are reachable, I don't know if they're a big enough percentage. And I think this is the critical point. I don't think that that group is a big enough percentage to burn off your progressive base, right? If if more Republicans as a percentage voted for Donald Trump in 2020 than in 2016, it does not suggest to you that you should burn your progressive base by going out here trying to straddle the fence and say, oh, we don't support Medicare for all, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's a danger gambit. Yeah, no, certainly. But I think what what you were able to accomplish and other organizers is something that progressives or liberals uh, like Stacey Abrams have mm-hmm. not in states that have not swung enough to, 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 to elect a democratic governor or Senator mm-hmm. or president mm-hmm. in the electoral college. So what happened in Georgia is very distinctive right. um, of bridging potentially coalitions, including the base while still not alienating some centrist voters uh, or unaffiliated voters. Yeah. Uh, what 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 is happening in Georgia that didn't happen in Texas, for for instance? Well, you know, and I want to be sure uh, 
because I'm a media guy, right? I, I, I do, I broadcast and I do podcasts and I write, you know, the real organizers on the ground that did that work. Um, and many of those organizers are affiliated with like Stacey Abrams and her organization. So shout out to Stacey Abrams from the amazing work that she did and all the people on the ground in Seufat and uh, Black, Male, Black Male Voter Project. Um, one of the things that I know for sure is that there was a concerted effort after 2018 to make sure that, that not only did we compensate for all of the voter purging that took place by um, then Secretary of State, uh, who is now the uh, the governor, um, there was a concerted effort to overturn that. So there were hundreds of that. I mean, the voter registration um, uh, uh, balance of power flipped tremendously, especially after the George Floyd protest. So I, I, I think you, you really have to look at the timing as well as the organizations, the different organizations, the registrations here were just unbelievable. Uh, and they were concentrated in minority communities. In I think capacity, that's the in your capacity as advisor to Really American, uh, what are you in, in suggesting in terms of the deployment of ads? Yeah. Well, my first suggestion to them really wasn't even ads. It was to put money into the hands of the organizations that did the work prior, right? Because they 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 had boots on the ground. Uh, and so my my number one thing that I say to anyone is if you're going to donate, donate to the organizations who have boots on the ground, even if they're digital boots on the ground, because I know we're in COVID-19. But in terms of Really American, you know, uh, I, I've known the founder of Really American for some time, and I trust this instinct enough to, you know, say that I would be a, a senior advisor. And, and I do like the ads. The ads are provocative. Um, and really, it was just they sent them to me to get my opinion. And so far, I've been um, I've really liked all of them, even though some of them are very aggressive. Uh, but I think it's an aggressive fight and we have to fight fire with fire. So let me ask you about winning this thing. You, you sound cautiously optimistic. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, the Democrats were cautiously optimistic about a number of states that they that they didn't win in the Electoral College, even though it was a decisive popular vote victory and ultimately decisive in the Electoral College. But it wasn't a sweep. So right, right. knowing that, um, what would be your instinct about what is going to resonate most? Is it nationalizing the race or is it localizing? Oh, that's a wonderful question. Um, because there are some local issues here in Georgia that um, um, like uh, farmers going bankrupt, the percentage of, of farmers who are going bankrupt, like that is not a uniquely Georgia problem, but that problem is very serious here in the state. And that problem can be connected to national politics. So I, I think it is going to be a very um, diverse approach, right? I think they're going to have to diversify their strategy. They're going to need to uh, nationalize when necessary, localize it uh, when they can, when they can get two for one, like the farmer, uh, uh, farmer bankruptcies here in the state. I think that that they should definitely do that. I also think that they need to uh, ensure when I say they, I mean, everyone, whether it's the DNC or the, uh, the, the democratic senatorial committee uh, or whoever, everyone who's involved all the way down to people like me who don't particularly like the Democratic Party. All of us need to make sure that we're doing our part. Of course, we're Democrats are going to come here and Joe Biden are going to come here and they're going to try to be as moderate as they possibly can. All we're really asking is that you don't do anything that's going to make our work difficult because if you need your base to turn out, if you need African-Americans to turn out, you can't come out here saying a bunch of things that is going to discourage them from coming out because you're trying to be so moderate and so centrist. Now that we know that Biden is president-elect, can that be employed in a, in a way that is constructive in attending to the local issues? Mm. You know, Biden as president will restore 
the livelihood of farmers, for example. Yeah. You know? No, I think that's wisdom. I, I, I think you see, see here, here, here's, here's the distinction here that I think um, that I feel in, in what you're saying there. And I think it's important that it be made. If you talk about policy that is going to help people's lives, you will win period. And I absolutely think it would be an, a phenomenal gesture as well as policy to address the economic issues that are not germane only to Georgia, but are exacerbated here. Um, um, like income inequality, my goodness, like the Atlanta is one of the leading cities for income inequality, like the farmer's bankruptcy, like the homeless population in Atlanta. I mean, there's so many, if you actually talk about policy you're, that helps people, you will win. And, and what other issues, if any, Benjamin, are salient? You, you talk about the homelessness in the cities. You talk about the income inequality and wealth disparities. And then more specifically, farmers and their plight. What yeah. else have, have we missed that, that should be on the minds of, of folks who are campaigning in Georgia and yeah. voting in Georgia? Okay, yeah. I'm, thank you so much for that question, because I, I, I wanted to be sure not to miss <laughs> any of this. Um, Medicare for all is extremely popular in the country. It wasn't four years ago and it wasn't even in conversation eight years ago. Um, it resonates with the people because so many people are once sick or have gotten sick or been sick or gone bankrupt because they were sick. Um, and so I think that is a policy that should not be overlooked, even though I know it's not one that Joe Biden or John Ossoff supports. Uh, uh, and that's, that's just one. But we also talk about what happened over the summer in Atlanta, all across the country. But in Atlanta, there were a lot of protests and there was a lot of protest around defunding the police. And one of the things that Barack Obama and James Clyburn and, and, and uh, Joe Biden and John Ossoff can do to really make this hard for themselves is to make this a campaign against those of us who believe that we should defund the police. Right. The people who protested in Georgia all across the state all the summer, the same people who registered to vote and the same people who went out and voted and gave Joe Biden the victory. They were not saying defund the police. They were saying abolish the police. So I just want them to understand that their base right now, we, we may not be their base forever, but their base right now is saying we understand you are not our type of politicians. But we also understand that Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue have to go. So just don't make it difficult for us to do for John Ossoff and Warnock what it was uh, difficult for us to do for uh, Joe Biden. It was difficult to pull that lever, but we had to. Don't make it impossible. In that vein, when we talk about the impact of the pandemic on lives, what has struck you specifically about lives lost and, and lives traumatized in Atlanta and in Georgia? Well, honestly, it's the same, quite frankly, all across this country, just how used to death we have all become so quickly. And I know that's out of habit. We adapt. We adapt so that we can survive. It's a survival, survival mechanism. Um, but I don't know if, if we really understand 270,000 deaths and the potential for half a million if we're not careful. Um, the politicization of it has been unbelievable here in the state of Georgia. Uh, but look, you know, basically all around the country, people politicizing wearing a mask. It is the absurdity of it all, to be quite honest with you. It is the absurdity of, the, of it all to the point where we would stand by and see 270,000 people die because we didn't want to shut things down because we didn't want to have to eat home cooking. You know, little foolish things like that that have led to so many people dying. And now the fact that we've gotten used to the dying, it is really a sad testament to where we are uh, in this country. Now, thinking about the fact that 
one of the Republicans have, has refused to debate. One of them is debating. Um, and the dynamics of the four contenders, if this was going to go oh, any kind of split direction, which direction do you think it would go in, in terms of uh, which Democrat would win and which Republican would lose? Oh, in Georgia. Um, I think it's a good possibility that also, uh, I think both of them are going to win because Republicans are so divided in the state of Georgia. They're fighting each other. Uh, but if one of them were to win and one of them to lose, I would say Loeffler would lose. Warnock would win. And, and, um, and John Ossoff would lose and Purdue would win. I hope that both of them win. But just the, um, just the dynamics of the race and the dynamics of uh, Kelly Loeffler's reputation and, and uh, response, uh, the reaction that the people have to her, Republicans even. Um, I can make, I can summarize it like this. She would have won if she was actually liked because she wasn't liked in the state by Republicans. Someone else ran, another Republican ran in that primary, uh, which made the runoff possible. So I think some of those factors are still at play, um, even in January. And so I think that's even more of a reason she's going to lose. So it sounds to me, Warnock maybe, maybe has the edge as he did in sort of the pulling out of the gate when we looked at the initial data coming into the runoff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure. Uh, yes. To your answer, to your question. Um, I'm not, I haven't looked at the numbers recently in terms of fundraising, but I imagine that before this is over, uh, both campaigns, um, on both sides, all four campaigns will be flushed with enough money to give them, um, uh, put them in equal footing, uh, in that regard. So shy of there being any significant financial shortcoming that I'm not aware of at this point, I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's going to result in um, Leffler losing. Uh, a lot of people call her Leffler and I, you know, some other people call her Leffler. I'm not really sure which one. So I'm going to interchange, <laughs> use them interchangeably. Uh, but at the end of the day, if all things being equal, uh, I, I think um, Leffler loses for sure. And I think John Ossoff has a good chance of winning. We just have to see how it works out. Yeah. I mean, it could be very revealing if it's tight again or if the Republicans win, you know, oh, yeah. restore uh, what was their you know, strong standing in the state. Um, do you think it will be very tight until, you know, the end of the night or the next week? Oh, I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, it depends on how good they are. at counting. They were pretty good counting. Um, it took them a little while longer than we would have liked. Um, there was a recall, the recount and the manual recount. So I, I think putting all that aside, if we just have a clean count, um, I think we'll know before the end of that week. The two candidates had an opportunity and still have an opportunity to, to do some really distinctive barnstorming that is maybe unveiling new policy or taking a stand uh, that is showing their independence from Schumer. Most of the swing state Senate candidates who lost, if you go back and watch the debates uh, between, for instance, Danes and Bullock in Montana or Greenfield and Ernst in in Iowa, you know, they, they effectively seemingly used Chuck Schumer um, as a pawn, as a tool uh, against the, the Democrats. And it had occurred to me that it would be smart for these two gentlemen uh, running to uh, distance themselves from the existing leadership to show that independence. And it's been my 
contention that I think the only way they will win either one of them would be to do that, to show their independence. Um, is independence there from, like, from Joe Biden? Is that they're, not their independence from Biden, their independence from Schumer. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 And, and so I'm, I'm wondering, is there any way are there, are, are there particular ways that you think they could demonstrate the, their independence from Schumer that could be effective? Well, I, you know, no, not really, because the only people that's going to impress are people like me, <laughs> you know, that's not going to impress, um, um, you know, any moderate Republican. I think moderate Republicans are completely impossible to reach. And I think Democrats. But it might also it might impress independent minded Democrats who've who've had enough of. Well, I mean, but I think we're at a juncture in American history that, you know, every one of us, if if I as a progressive, basically a socialist, understand the score that we just got to got to vote these two guys in no matter what, we got to get them in as much as we needed to get Donald Trump out, then those Democrat independent Democrats, they just need to show up and do their job, you know, just show up and vote. Show up and vote and demand policy and continue to fight afterwards. Don't go to brunch. Don't go to sleep. But show up and vote, man. It's that simple. Um, and so I think you're right in the sense that, you know, showing independence is always a good thing. I was excited to see Ilhan, uh, well, no, Ilhan Ayana and Cori Bush and Jamal Bowen. All of them showed independence from Barack Obama. And I absolutely respect that. Um, but I don't think any of them should do it in the hopes of winning over Republicans, because I, I firmly believe, as I, I'm sure I've made it clear on this episode, that that's a fool's errand. As a final question, are there policies separate from independence from Schumer that you suggest that they embrace that they have not, a position they take, or a new policy they unveil that they haven't done yet that you think would really capture the attention of Georgia? Um, you know, you have some really great questions. Thank you for these these phenomenal questions. First of all, um, I would say yes and no. Yes, in that just do what's right. The Green New Deal is what's right, and it affects people in Georgia, right? Let's be sure about that. Um, the Green New Deal is an important policy, especially for people in Georgia. There are um, there are conservation issues here. There are water issues, water supply issues. There there's a lot of problems that the Green New Deal at least addresses if it doesn't directly solve. And I think the right thing, the policy that they could show independence from the whole Democratic Party is to support the Green New Deal. However, they've done their calculus. They've done their math. They're, they've run their campaign strategies. And I don't know how effective it would be for anyone to change this close. We're only seven weeks away. All we need them to do is to not make it impossible for progressives and young radicals who went out and bit the bullet to vote for Joe Biden. We just need them to not make it impossible for us to go right back out and do the same thing to get them in. So if they're not going to come on board with the Green New Deal, fine. It's so late in the game. We wouldn't believe you anyway. But don't go out there on Axios, John Ossoff, and make it a point and so smugly dismissing the Green New Deal because we're talking about our children's future and we're talking about the future of the state of Georgia. It is the right thing to do. But if you don't want to support it, don't make it impossible for us to vote for you. Just kind of be mom on the subject and we'll see everybody in January 5th. It's unfortunate that the Green New Deal has been branded as something difficult for most Democrats to swallow. Um, I, I, I think that um, there was a real opportunity to bring back to the public what were popular 
programs of the New Deal and the Great Society. Right. And somewhere along the way, you can attribute it to racism and, you know, the, the way Republicans specifically maligned some of the non-white co-sponsors of the legislation. But somewhere along the way, Benjamin, uh, what was a proud legacy for Democrats on social reform, mm. uh, protecting the economic interests of more people, um, specifically Roosevelt and Johnson, somehow that got completely strung away mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. the new deal and it just became the green new deal. And I, I final thought, you know, any reflection you want to make on that? You know, I think it was more of a shift in the democratic party. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm 100% confident. It's the shift that happened in the democratic party, um, 70, 1976, 1980, um, and the shift towards the third way de- Democrats, the, um, the, the neoliberal wing of the democratic party, which I know has kind of become a pejorative, but it actually is an organizing principle inside of the democratic party. When I say neoliberal, I don't mean it as an insult. I mean, a particular worldview, and once they adopted that particular worldview, we saw a really a, a real separation between what the Democratic Party did in earnest for working people and for uh, marginalized communities um, and what they just gave us rhetoric around. We got rhetoric. We've had rhetoric from the Democrats. We've gotten a couple things. You know, I'm grateful for Obamacare. I signed up for Obamacare because as a, as a business owner, I needed I needed it. Right. Um, but we still need more. And we deserve more because we all pay into the system. We all pay our taxes. We all pay, give them our labor. We all give them our consumption. We give them everything. And I don't think it's socialism to ask for something in return. Benjamin Dixon, thank you so much for your insight today. Thank you so much for having me.